Some of you are no doubt relieved to see the ladder missing from the platform today. Finally to the end of that long list of practices. If you weren't able to be here through all of the message over the last five weeks or so, the outline is still up here on the the purple cloth, reminding us that we're in this season of Lent. We've talked about practices, traditions and activities that help us stay on track. But the question you have to always ask when you're talking about practices is stay on track with what? I mean, there has to be something central to which all those practices point. What is that at the center? What is the core of what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ? This is it in a nutshell. As humans, we have a predisposition to selfishness. And we grow up believing that we are, in fact, the center of the world. The expression of this selfishness is sinful. In fact, all of us are sinful. But thanks be to God, we don't need to stay that way. It is possible for us to learn that there is a creator who loves us, who wants to give us a new life and a new destiny. If we admit that we have been sinful and selfish and ask for his help, he will forgive us for the things we've done wrong, place his spirit in us, and will help us begin a process of transformation that will utterly remake us. If we cooperate with the learning process he outlines for us, we will mature and grow stronger, becoming more useful to those who are around us. If we do not cooperate, we will not mature, and we will become less useful to those who are around us. It is possible for us to become so unhelpful that we give up on the process altogether and simply walk away from the God who placed our feet on this new pathway. And that is catastrophic. So you and I, we are either walking in ways that are in sync with the Holy Spirit, growing stronger day by day, becoming more and more useful to those around us, drawing closer to God, or you and I, we are following our own desires and plans, walking slowly away from the guidance of the Holy Spirit, becoming less and less useful to those who are around us, creating distance between ourselves and God. It's one of the two. You may have been on a flight that was temporarily delayed and forced to be in a holding pattern around some city and you just sort of circled until a landing zone became available. There isn't any of that in the spiritual life. You either are moving forward or drifting backwards. It's important to know what's at the center of who you are. The story of Israel 
is often the story of creating distance. Let me just choose one example from many. You remember the story outlined in Numbers 21, verse four. Here's a synopsis. From Mount Hor, the Israelites set out by the way to the Red Sea, but the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we detest this miserable food. You know, the miserable food was the food God was providing day by day miraculously for them. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people They bit the people, many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look up at it and live. You remember the story. This event isn't the first time that the people of Israel get lost. Their complaining is against both Moses and God this time. We've been in this situation before. We know something of the cycles that plague Israel. Things are going well, then we forget about God, we have a problem, we blame God, there is judgment, we return to God. If the story of Israel means anything to us, it should, at a bare minimum, remind us time and time again how easy it is to get lost on this journey. The need to take one's pulse, to check for course corrections, is always present. And so we pause once more today to make absolutely certain we're moving in the right direction, that our practices reflect our goals, that we are consistently walking in step with the Holy Spirit, that the course we are on is the one we intend to be on by the grace of God. After all, if it's so easy for Israel to get off track, should we assume that we are any different? This is what Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 10, from the beginning. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from that spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things, Paul says, occurred as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in reverend. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ 
as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things, Paul writes, happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. That's Paul's specific advice to us as the church of Jesus Christ. If you think you're standing firm, be careful so that you do not fall. These Old Testament folks, Paul is saying, witnessed amazing miracles. They walked through the sea on dry ground. They ate the bread of heaven and still they grumbled and still they stumbled and still they fell. How much more susceptible to stumbling might we be, we who haven't crossed through the sea on dry ground, haven't eaten the bread from heaven? Yes, we've seen miracles. But are we forgetting them the way Israel forgot the miracles that they witnessed? You know, you've heard me talk about the danger of embracing practices without understanding the reason behind the practices. Traditions and practices that do not reflect the attitude of our heart for God can be wearying, draining, and life-consuming. In fact, when we start to demand others to embrace our traditions, especially when they are meaningless to them, we create this system where folks end up doing or not doing things because someone told them not to do or do them. And as important as practices are for shaping us in discipleship, it is far more important that the traditions and practices flow from a very specific condition of the heart. It must start here with authenticity and integrity. Jesus himself comments on this in Mark 7. The Pharisees, some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And so, Mark 7, 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating food with defiled hands? And Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, you hypocrites. As it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to human traditions. Far too often, we create systems of behavior that seem pious and may even reflect the pious opinions of our forefathers, but if those behaviors do not reflect the true disposition of our hearts, 
and they really are empty. The matter of the heart, the condition of the heart is always central. And so I have to ask some relatively simple heart questions this morning. Do you love Jesus? Are you desiring to walk more closely to Jesus? Is it, is it your desire to honor him? Are you willing to do, to actually put into practice what it takes to honor and obey Jesus? Are the practices of your life expressing your love to Jesus? What is it that is central to you? Here in the middle of Lent, who are you most like? Are you most like Israelites grumbling because life is hard? Are you most like Pharisees who are grumbling because some folks aren't doing the things you have to do, which is sort of like saying life isn't fair because it's harder for me and there are more demands on me than there are on others? Are you, are you more like Moses, who's just tired of dealing with people who are griping all the time? Or are you like Paul, who writes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Your reactions reveal the condition of your heart. This is how Jesus summarizes it. It isn't what goes into a person that defiles him. It's what comes out of a person. What comes from the heart which defiles a person. If the heart is good, what comes out will be good. If the heart is corrupt, no manner of good practices will be enough to polish up what erupts from a corrupt heart. I guess I would add one small caveat to what I'm saying today. While it is true that our practices must arise from a heart that is filled with love for God, there are times when we extend discipline to our children before they understand the reason for it, okay? Because our children aren't completely in the place yet where they understand why we do the things we do. And so some of the practices and disciplines we put in their place are training for them so they can begin to understand the condition of our heart. But if we do not also reveal our hearts to them, and help them to understand why we're doing what we're doing, 
the training will very soon lead to rebellion and frustration. We ought to be able to learn some things by the collected wisdom of the saints, right? We shouldn't have to learn everything by trial and error, right? That seems to be a popular trend in current Christian literature that makes me a little sick to my stomach. There's a whole bunch of Christian authors out there talking autobiographically about how they had to learn everything themselves by all these sins they committed. And I wanna say, you were raised in the church. Wasn't there anyone around to help you figure out how to avoid some of these major life mistakes? So there is, there is something about learning from others that's significant to us. But it is extremely important that we transmit what's at our core and help our children and our teens understand why we do what we do. And that makes it all the more important that we are in touch with our hearts, with what is really going on inside us. I'm convinced that practices, traditions, shape the actions of good hearts. These hearts have been made clean by trusting the promise of God to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. But only Christ makes clean hearts. Only Christ makes pure hearts. Only Christ makes good hearts. John Wesley famously preached a sermon entitled repentance in believers. And I'm thinking if this morning as you're hearing me speak, you're thinking that the shape of your life looks a little bit too much like Israel this morning, that it is time to get back on track. It's time to admit that and say, I've been grumbling too long. Lord, it's time to do a tune-up here if the disposition of my life has been self-oriented for too long, it's time for me to say, Lord, I need the merits of your cleansing blood to cleanse me anew and afresh. If your practices have become empty and a drudgery to you, it's time to ask the Spirit again to pour out his love into your heart afresh and anew so that the vibrancy of your love for Christ will spill out in practices that shape us to be more and more like Christ. Here in the middle of Lent is the perfect time consider what Christ is about to do for us during Holy Week. He's going to give everything so that we can be made new in Christ. That's his desire for you, his desire for me. That the life we live is centered in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That the practices we embrace reflect 
that desire to demonstrate our love for God so that we could know the wholeness, the health, and the peace, the, the shalom of God revealed in us moment by moment. I want to sing a song in a moment, and while I'm singing that song, I'd invite you, if you want to sing along, you can, but I would, I would invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to accomplish his work in you. It may be that you need to repent of some things or confess of some things. It may be that you need to have a quiet moment in your soul to consider the work of God in your life. You may need to ask the Spirit to tell you whether your practices really reflect what's central to you. Maybe you want to pray where you're seated or standing. You may want to pray at the altar. You're welcome to do that. Uh, The most important thing is to check in with the Spirit of God and invite him to speak to you. This is the time for course correction. This is the time to check in and make sure I'm on the road. I think it's probably true that your practices are already revealing what's in your heart for good or bad. I think that's probably true. I think as you invite the Spirit to help you see more clearly, um, you'll understand his remedy for the situation if the report isn't what you had hoped, okay? And, And his remedy is always the same. Kneel humbly before me and invite me to lead you. It's always the same. He, he wants us to come before him humbly and invite the shaping, compassionate hand of the Spirit to lead us from the moment we find ourselves into the future he desires for us because we know how much he loves us. We see that unfolding in the days that are ahead of us in Holy Week. And so we trust ourselves into a hand of a loving God who numbers the hairs of our head, who who loves us beyond what we can imagine. And we say, Father, help me. Take me. Lead me from here. Cleanse me. Enable me to follow you and to live for you according to your plan. Lord Jesus, it is our desire to live for you. We love you. By your death and resurrection, you provide new life for us. Freedom from the bondage of sin. You break the chains of canceled sin. You set the sinner free. Your blood can make the phallus clean. Your blood availed for me. 
And so we rejoice today, Lord Jesus, in the completed work of Calvary. But we confess at times, we grumble, we're distracted, we get lost on this journey, and we say, forgive us, Lord. Renew us. Pour your Holy Spirit into our hearts anew and refresh us. Rekindle a passion for you in our souls, Lord. A passion that will not allow us to walk by a fellow pilgrim in need. Renew us in your spirit, we ask, Lord. Enable us to demonstrate our love for you through the practices we embrace. Hear our prayer, O Lord. It's my desire that the words of these scriptures would fill our days between now and Easter Sunday morning. That we would be in a season of listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit time of humble repentance before God, a time of considering the practices of our lives, a time of openness to the transforming grace of the Holy Spirit, a prayerful time where we invite the Father to lay on us a burden for the lost in our community, that he would renew us by his presence in us. And now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ according to the power that is working within you enable you for everything good to do that which is pleasing to him according to his will. To him be glory now and forever. Amen.